If you're turning with me today, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 1. I think we're going to start in Ephesians 1. Um, I just want to talk to you today about your value and your worth. Because if you don't realize that you're worth something, if you don't realize that you have value and that you have a place then you'll never stand in your place. And you'll never walk in your purpose. If, if you don't think you're worth anything, then you'll never contribute in the way that God's called you to contribute. I heard this um, story that I thought was great. And it was about these boys at school that were making fun of this other kid because he was adopted. And they were picking on him and making fun of him and saying, oh, you're, you're adopted, you're... Your parents gave you up to somebody else. You're adopted. And what the boy said was so good. He said, I don't know why y'all are making fun of me. Your parents are stuck with you. My parents picked me. You know God's not stuck with you? Like God picked you. In fact, God paid a high price, the highest price you can imagine for you to be back in relationship with Him. For you to be called His sons and daughters. And sometimes we get in our head like, well, since I'm saved or since I, God's, it's kind of like God's stuck with us. Like He's irritated with us or you know, He's mad every time we mess up. Or, God's not stuck with you. He picked you. He paid the highest price so that He could have you back in His family. He's not stuck with you. God picked you. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that it says that God has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the earth. Think about that. God chose you in Him before the foundations of the earth. Like before the earth was made, He chose you. Jeremiah 1.5, God's talking to the prophet Jeremiah and He's saying, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew who you were going to be. I knew what you were going to do. I, I knew you were going to mess up. I knew... You're good and you're bad. You're light and you're dark. Like, I know who you were, Jeremiah. I created you for a purpose. I formed you in your mother's womb. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his masterpiece. Look at it. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship can be translated masterpiece. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This word was only used one time that I can find. It's a Greek word and it was translated workmanship or masterpiece. The meaning of the word is what is made, creation, or things that are made. So Paul is telling us here that we are his workmanship. We are his creation. We are his masterpiece. I've used this example before, but it's been a while back. So 
thought I'd use it again because it's a great illustration of this point. This is a cutting board that Malachi made when he was probably, what were we, 15? He was 15. He made this cutting board and he made it for Jesse and it looked awesome. Like he spent a lot of time on it, sanding it and gluing it together and like making it perfect. He did all the edges and everything and it was his masterpiece. He brought it home and it looked awesome. And he gave it to Jesse as a gift. The whole time he was sanding on it and creating it and putting it together, forming it, the idea, he gave it to Jesse, his mom. It's a cutting board. The purpose of it was to make meals, to feed. It was kind of a selfish gift, I guess, because he likes to eat. To feed his brothers and me and company and guests that would come over or whatever. But as you can tell, over the last few years, especially if you look close at this thing, it's got cuts all over it. It's got little chunks and chips out of the wood, and it's been oiled down, and I'm sure Jesse's put new oil on it as it dries out and, and cracks. There's a, a crack here. It's been kind of beat up. It's been through some stuff. That was the point. It had a purpose. All these cuts from knives, that doesn't make it ugly. That means it was used for what it was created to be used for. Malachi can be more proud of it now by looking at it and saying, Hey, mom appreciated the gift and she used it for what it was created for. If you are his masterpiece then cuts and bruises and hurts and wounds and scars, they don't make you less valuable. It can be used. God will use it for your purpose. God will use it to do things. He'll use it as a platform. He'll use it as a story for Him. It's your God story. Cuts aren't bad. Bruises aren't bad. Hurts aren't bad. If you let Him use it, you're his masterpiece. You're his workmanship. Just like that board is Malachi's. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Jeremiah 1.5 that I mentioned just a minute ago says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. What's God saying? I had a purpose for you. Before I even put you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had a purpose and a plan for your life. You didn't know it yet, but I knew it. I heard this story about a lady named Terry Horton who didn't have much money at all. and She was searching for a gift for her friend who was moving into her new trailer. And she wanted to get her something nice, but she didn't have much money. So she went to this thrift store, and she was looking around, and she found this big, giant painting. And she's like, I thought it was kind of ugly, but my friend's got kind of weird taste. So I thought maybe she would like it. And it looks way more valuable than $5, which was the price tag that was on it. So she's like, at least it looks like I got her a better, more expensive present than I did. So she buys it for her friend. Her friend takes it and says, thanks. Wow. 
And the friend will tell you that she really didn't like it and thought it was ugly and it had paint splattered on it and stuff. Like it was just like, ugh. She never hung it up. So later she puts it in the yard sale to sell it. Well, this is a true story. A art professor from, I don't remember, either the high school or a college nearby came and was just looking through the yard sale and he sees the picture and he came up and said, where'd you get that painting? She said, oh, a friend gave it to me. I know, it's ugly. And he said, would you give me permission to check that out? I think it may be worth some money. She said, sure, go ahead. I, I mean, I was just trying to sell it for whatever I could get. Um, you can go look up this story, but... She paid $5 for it, and it turned out to be a Jackson Pollock painting worth $50 million. That's how much they sold it for, $50 million. But it was at a thrift store. Why was it so valuable? It was ugly. It was surrounded by junk. The price tag and the label that had been put on it was cheap. Not worth anything, not worth much, throw it in the junk pile. Why was it value? Why was it valuable? The value comes from the maker. Just like you. Doesn't matter if you're surrounded by junk. It doesn't matter if people put labels on you or cheap price tags on you or told you you're not valuable, you're not worth anything, you don't have a place. You know, it doesn't matter. Your value comes from your maker. The one that made you, the one that formed you before you were placed in your mother's womb, the one that has a purpose and a, a plan for your life. Read the rest of that verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works or for good works. There was, it was for a reason which God hath before ordained that we should sit and bask in them. It doesn't say that. It says that we should walk in them. What does that mean? It means there's something for you to do. You're not just going to walk out your purpose and change the world if you don't try, if you don't obey. If you don't hear his voice and walk. He said, yeah, God created you for a purpose. You're his masterpiece. He's got great value on you. He has a reason for you. Now you got to walk in it. You got to do something. You can't just live your whole life needing to be carried like a little baby. At some point you need to learn how to walk. And eventually you'll carry somebody else. You should walk in them. It means you got to do something. Don't get stuck. A lot of Christians are like, ready, aim. Ready, aim. Ready, aim. Ready, aim. This is going to get annoying here in a minute. Jesse's already annoyed. Ready, aim. Pull the trigger. Do something. God's going to use me. Maybe you need to obey Him. Pull the trigger. Walk in it. 
It's more frustrating than that. Ready, aim. Is it a sin to aggravate your wife? (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Good thing Jesus paid for sin or I'd be in trouble. So what you need to do is turn someday into today. Turn someday into today. We make so many excuses. And lots of people live with a someday mentality. Someday when I get married, I'll be happy. And the married people laugh. Not what's going to make you happy. I've been married seven times and I'm still not happy. That's not where your happiness comes from. Well, well, someday when I get the right house, God, then I'll start that small group that you've called me to start or that Bible study or, yeah, well, someday when I get done remodeling, I'll, I'll start that book study or... Someday when I get out of debt, then, then God, I'll tithe. I'll give to something bigger than myself. This thing on? Shots fired. God, someday, someday I'll have time to pray. God, someday I'll have time to give back to the community or the church Uh, God someday when the kids are grown we'll work on our marriage and we'll get things okay when they're out of the house but right now we're just kind of busy hey someday what is it that you're putting off till someday I got some sobering news for you someday never comes You'll always be busy. You'll always be... This isn't supposed to be depressing. But there's always going to be something. Some reason why we're putting it off till next season, next time, next... Someday, someday, and it becomes a pattern. Where we're putting off the things that we need to do. We're putting off the things that God's calling us to do. We're putting off working on relationships. We're putting off... Fathering and mothering, we're we're putting off till someday what we should do today. Walk in it. Problem is that someday never comes and we become spiritual couch potatoes gauging the will of God on how much work it's going to take. God, I really want to do something big but I really want to binge watch Netflix. Like, do you? I think sometimes we want a favor from God instead of wanting the favor of God. We all want God to bless us. Hey, God, do me a favor. Work this situation out. 
But the favor of God enables you to walk out the purpose for your life. But if it's based on blessings, then you will question your faith often. If that's your relationship with God is just wanting a favor from Him or wanting Him to bless you or wanting Him to help you through this or help you, then you will constantly be questioning your faith, your belief, your trust. It, it will always be tested. The testing of your faith. Look at Psalm 118, 24. Look what David said. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You see that? God's part is he made the day. Your part, rejoice or have joy again and be glad. Well, every day is not going to be good. There's going to be hard days and there's going to be rainy days. A lot of rainy days lately. You know, we've had more rain than Seattle in the last month. I heard this morning. I believe it. But there's going to be rainy days. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be tough days. So how could David... David had his fair share of hard days. David was betrayed. David had some major sin problems. David had all kind of things on his conscience. David lost a child. David, I mean, boy, you name it. David had some bad days. He had some rough days. David had a son that he loved more than anything that rose up and tried to take the kingdom from him. I mean, you name it, David faced it. He had some bad days. And yet, David writes this song. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So how could David rejoice in every day? He reminded himself who made the day. Can I tell you today that pain can't make a day? The devil can't make a day. He can't create. Sin can't make a day. This is going to be good news for somebody. Your ex can't make a day. Can't do it. God makes days. And he saw the day before you did. He made it. And the God that made the day is working all things together for your good. That's what Romans says. The God that made the day knew what was going to happen in the day and that He could work it all together for your good. Make my day. When you remember that, you can make a joyful noise. He said, I will rejoice. I'll have joy again. I'll be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. My God made this day, so I will have joy. And I will be glad. 
Psalm 98 and Psalm 100 tell us to make a joyful noise. We've looked at that before. That word make, it, it simply means to manufacture, to make something. That means you don't have to feel it to make a joyful noise. You don't have to feel it to give praise. Make a joyful noise. Self-talk is so important. The things that you say to yourself in your mind, man, I have conversations with myself all day. You do too, whether you want to admit it or not. Your self-talk is so important. It can pick you up, put you down, but you must focus. You've got to preach the truth to yourself every day. Remind yourself of who you are and how big your God is every day. Especially on the hard days. Especially on the times when you're being tested. That, that's when it matters most. And that's the time we usually don't. When I'm, having, I'm too tired to do my devotional this today. That's when you needed it the most. I don't feel like praying. Well, that's the time you need it. David was good at this. David was good at pretty much calling himself out. When he would get down, when he would get low, when he would have a hard time. When, look at Psalm 42, um, 4. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. These are the things I go over and over. Emptying out the pockets of my life. What are you talking about? What do you go over? What is it you're going to mill over and over and over in your head? When you get up in the morning and you start the soundtrack of your life. You start the background music. Well, we talked about that a couple months ago. How big of a difference that can make. Turn on some horror music, or you can turn on a happy song, or you can turn on a God song. These are the things I go over and over, emptying out the pockets of my life. I was always at the head of the worshiping crowd, right out in front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating all of us. God's feast. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? That's David talking to his own soul. Why are you down in the dumps? Now, I'm a worshiper. I'm leading the crowd in worship. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Well, you know what he's doing? He's questioning his feelings. When you feel some type of way, question it. Don't just be led by it and let it run your life because you feel mad. Every, you're, you're a hammer and everything's a nail. That's not, that's dangerous. That's not the way to live your life. David's questioning his feelings. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I crying the blues? 
He's talking to himself. Psychologists say that men use 20,000 words a day on average. The women use 30,000 words a day on average. I know that some of y'all use about 10,000 and your wife uses the 40. But on average, men are at about 20 and women are at about 30,000 a day. Thinking about that, you know what I've noticed too about women? My wife sometimes. They use rollover words. Like if they don't have anybody to talk to for a while, they get in them extra words too. It's the rollover words. I was talking with a couple about marriage and and stuff like that. And asked the man, does it bother you that she always gets the last word? He said, no, I'm just glad when she finally gets to it. Okay, but here's the crazy thing. Psychologists say that you say 70,000 words a day on average to yourself. All those words and all the words that are spoken from men or women or anything else, you say more things inside your head that you speak to yourself. Average of 70,000 words a day. You are the biggest influence on you. You believe you over anyone else. You can convince yourself of anything because you wouldn't be trying to convince yourself of anything if you didn't believe it. You agree with you. If you don't, there's help for that. But you believe you. I believe me. And I'm telling myself 70,000 words a day. How important is (laughs) self-talk? Pretty important. David encouraged himself. You got to transform your self-talk. You got to question your feelings. Let's read the rest of that. Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Lift up your heads, all you gates. Be ye lifted up, your everlasting doors. The scripture tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. Like, lift up your head. Look up. Stop looking down. Stop kicking around in the dirt. Soon I'll be praising again. Praising is giving thanks. Soon I'll be thanking God. I'll be grateful to God again for the day, for everything. Because I see his hand working. He puts a smile on my face. What is that? That means your countenance changes. He's my God. When my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. What does that mean? He reminds himself who God is. He said, when my soul is in the dumps, I remind myself everything I know about you. 
on how good you are, how many times you've come through in the past, how big you are, how powerful you are. David said, I just start reminding myself of you, God, how big you are, how powerful you are, how just everything I know about you. Before long, I'm praising again. So self-talk is a big one. And self-walk, David was talking about his posture, how he lifts up his head, how he puts a smile back on his face. Things that you can choose, like make, manufacture a joyful noise. Choose to praise. Choose to thank God. Choose to put a smile back on your face. Your countenance makes a huge difference. And you can make a joyful noise. Hold your head up. Know who you are. There's all kinds of uh, studies on power poses and and all these different things and it's pretty interesting I was going to get into that a little more but it takes a little more time than, than I want to dig into but go look into it but it's kind of cool that we see David tapping into it multiple times of just the difference you can feel like there's uh, there's all these different poses one y'all try this one you cross your arms Puff out your chest, roll your shoulders back, slightly lift your chin. They say that's the Mr. Clean pose. (laughs) See, but just doing that, rolling your shoulders back, lifting up your chin, doing that, and then it made you think of Mr. Clean. It made you laugh. Like, before we did that, I had two of y'all were asleep. Three of you were checking your phones like, I can see y'all. I know y'all think these lights are blinding me. But now everybody in here laughed, got happy. They, y'all rejoiced. You had a little bit of joy and you focused back on the word. The word that was coming. How? What happened? You just changed your posture. Lifted up your chin. So, they say the Mr. Clean pose, it equals confidence. But if you're, you cross your arms and your shoulders are forward, like with your back hunched over, and your chin is down, then it's a sign of weakness. Sending the message subliminally that you're scared. So, your arms are crossed like this. It sends the message that you're scared. Right? It's a sign of weakness. But your arms can still be crossed. And by putting your shoulders back and lifting your chin up, like lifting your eyes up, it's a sign of confidence. Your posture matters. The way you walk matters. What does that have to do with how we started this whole thing? You need to know you're valuable. You need to know your worth. You need to know you're powerful. 
You need to know that he chose you for a reason, for a purpose. I say when people win any type of physical competition, that their hands go up. Just automatically. Nobody's taught to do that. Go look at when a runner gets done running the Olympics. Usain Bolt. Yesterday we were at track. Somebody does good or especially if they win, your hands go up. And when you go read the studies, it's usually they go up in a V shape, both hands straight up in the air, and your head goes up too. When you win. Victory. Man, it looks like how some people worship. Why are you coming to church and lift your hands and lift your head, lift your eyes? Hmm. Posture. You know how when a fighter wins a fight and the referee stands there holding both of their hands and you're waiting to see whose hand gets lifted? I never really understood that until I started reading this. And now looking back over the last couple, those two years that I did brawl for a cause, man, I've been the one standing there that didn't get his hand lifted and automatically your body just feels like, yeah. And I've also been the one standing there that got your hand lifted. It feels so good. It's the best feeling in the world. Bow to me. Like, (laughs) that's wonderful. It's your countenance. Lift up your head. Lift up your hands. This is the day that your God made. Your God and your Father. He made this day. He knew what it would hold. And He gave you what you needed to get through it. Self-talk, self-walk. And the last one, God thoughts. How David said, I, I rehearse everything I know about you when my soul's down. You remind yourself how big your God is. What do you think about God? Like you, think about that for a minute. What do you think about God? How big is he? Has he ever come through for you? You ever seen him do something big in your life? Has he, has he ever sent relationships into your life? Has, is he a loving father to you? Is he? What do you think about God? I find that I like to limit God with my dreams. Oh, I don't know if you can. That's kind of crazy. If you can do your dream without God, it's not a God dream. It could be a good dream. But if you can figure it out and do it on your own, you got the time, money, resources, whatever you need to make it happen, it's probably not a God dream. God calls us to do things we can't do on our own. God calls us to do things we can't do without Him. So that we will have to rely on Him and each other.
We spend so much time telling God about our problems and how big our problems are. Think about your prayer life. The most of your prayer life about you telling God about all your problems, about everything in your world that He needs to fix, that how you don't have enough money or how you need this to be healed or you need Him to come through for this person or that or you need, you need to see God fix your marriage or you need is it always is it telling God about your problems because the more you keep talking about your problems and making your problems big you're making God small not that you could make God small but in your mind your perspective you're you're talking up the giant you're the giant's biggest fan Try this. Take two chairs. And you sit in one. And imagine. Imagine your biggest problem. Your biggest enemy. The biggest thing that you're up against right now. Imagine that it's sitting in that chair in front of you. Don't get scared. Imagine that it's sitting in front of you. And just spend a few minutes telling your problem how big God is. You just spend, just imagine that. And sit there for a few minutes telling your problem how awesome God is. How big God is. And tell that problem about the price that God paid for you. Go ahead and look up a few scriptures. Some of those ones I quoted to you at the start of the message that tell who you are in God and that you're His masterpiece. Go ahead and quote that to your biggest problem. I don't care if it's something you can control or not. If it's a sin problem, if it's a, another person, if it's a legal problem, if it, it doesn't matter what it is. Just spend a few minutes telling that problem, telling that giant how big your God is. I promise you, that that problem or that enemy is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you preach the truth until you can, like David, run with confidence at that giant. Until you can sling those stones that you've picked up in the brook, that you picked up bowing down in worship. I'll end with this. Exodus 15. Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and God sent him to be the deliverer. Set my people free. Right? And it's a sign of Jesus that, that came to set us free from slavery, from bondage, from sin. And Moses went and and he got all the people out of Egypt and they took off, headed to the land that God would give them, walking in obedience. And they come up to the Red Sea and there's nowhere for them to go. They're trapped. And Pharaoh, with the most powerful army in the world at that time, decided, bad mistake. We just let all our slaves go. Let's go get them back. And they're probably going to kill old Moses. He's the one that took them. 
So here comes Pharaoh and the most powerful army in the world. And all you got is a bunch of slaves. Y'all don't have weapons or way to fight. Like, they're going to kill you. And then you got the Red Sea in front of you that it's impossible for you to cross. You can't go anywhere. That's two pretty big obstacles, we'll call them. Two pretty big giants that are standing in your way, threatening to stop you. Not only threatening, they were. Red Sea was stopping them. They had nowhere to go. And we know that God spoke to Moses and and that Moses obeyed even though it didn't make sense. And he went down and he stuck his rod in and and God separated the waters and the children of Israel walked across on, on dry land. And then Pharaoh and his army came just in the nick of time. All God's people got across. Pharaoh and his army are coming across and God let the waters go and just... All the king's horses and all the king's men died. It was a sweet Bible story. And then in Exodus 15, when they're on the other side, Moses writes a worship song. They're worshiping God for delivering them. They're remembering how big God is. They're remembering what God brought them out of. They're worshiping. They're singing praises to God. They they choose to pour out in worship. Moses sings a song of worship after the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea. You know, the greatest obstacles that they could imagine were there. And it was two different kinds. The first one was the sea, the Red Sea. It is what it is. There's no changing the sea. It's always been there. Think about your obstacles. It's something that it just is. You can't change it. It's always been there. And because of it, you feel like you can't move forward. But how can I move forward because of what is it for you? This could be a handicap. It could be a talent you don't have. It could be a flaw that you do have. It, it could be your family. Something that's been there that you can't control or move. It could be your race. It's, it's something that you can't control. It's not your fault. But it's keeping you from moving forward. The other obstacle, Pharaoh's army. This is something that's coming after you. And if you stop moving forward, it will attack. It will take you out. If you stop, if you sit idle, if you don't walk, it's coming for you. Some of us have obstacles like that. It's something that you've messed with. Moses made Pharaoh mad. right? He went in there and called down some plagues. He he messed with it. So... This one's something that you've messed with. It could be an addiction. It's people that are out to get you. It's your past. They say your past will come back and get you. This was their past. Coming after them. Either one could or would stop you. Either of these obstacles. But both, good luck.
You can't do it. You must have God. No cap. I'm serious. You have to have God. Or it ain't going to work. Moses had two ingredients. Obedience and worship. Look at the story. Go read the story. And we can find it in all different Bible characters. But obedience and worship. Obedience and worship. What do we see in David's life? The man after God's own heart. Obedience and worship. Obedience and worship. Obedience and worship. You want to do great things in the kingdom? Obey and worship. Obey and worship. Even when you don't feel like it, step out in obedience and worship God. Remind yourself how big your God is. Obedience isn't really obedience until you don't understand or until you disagree. We talked about that last week. You must keep doing in the dark what you knew to do in the light. Or your feelings will take over. RJ and Rebecca are showing it in the situation that they're in right now. Obedience and worship. Obedience and worship. And they've planned in the light what they will do in the dark. The really cool thing is if you flip up to Revelation 15 where John got to go in and get a glimpse of heaven you know what John said the angels are singing the song of Moses this song that Moses wrote in Exodus 15 all the way in Revelation 15 the angels are singing a song that Moses wrote The angels are using the song that a man, a flawed man, wrote a song of worship and it was better than something the angels could come up with. Because angels are created to worship. We see all different places in scriptures where angels are watching us. See, we choose to worship. And even in pain and even when we don't understand, and we write a song of worship. We write a song of praise. We remember how big our God is. And we worship and angels learn how to worship from us. Man, I, we can write songs that are so powerful that touch heaven that they will say, dang, that's good. Well, I'm taking that. May our worship be so powerful and so sweet that angels would take our songs to worship our God. Let's pray. God, help us to obey and worship and obey and worship. 
And let that be the pattern of our life as we walk in who you've called us to be. As we check our self-talk today and the things that, that we're going over and over and over in our heads. God, today we lift up our heads. We put our shoulders back. We lift our hands. And we remind ourselves how big our God is. And how much we trust. We will find precious in the pain. Because that's what makes it all worth it. Thank you for the moments. Thank you for the precious. Speak to us. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.